You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Statistic came out about 15 years ago uh, that most people's greatest fear was public speaking. Second greatest fear was death, which means that most people would rather die than speak publicly. So I think it's always cause for celebration when we have someone stand up and lead our services for the first time. So thank you very much, Joseph, for overcoming great fear. (laughs) We are starting a new series in the book of Jude. And my my bent, my my sense is that most of us aren't very well versed in the book of Jude. D.J. Rouston, a theologian, once said that Jude is the most neglected book of the New Testament. And to be honest with you, I agree with him. I think uh, we overlook it constantly, but it also makes sense. Jude is very, very small. It's 25 verses. There's one chapter. It's basically a letter. It could fit on your fridge. Jude is also out of the way. It's right before the book of Revelation. It comes after the letters to John. No one stumbles upon the book of Jude. You have to go looking for it. Jude is also really confusing. I don't know if you picked up in some of the verses, but there's some weird stuff in it that you go along. It's like, yep, people coming out of Israel. I've read that one. And then Archangel is debating with the devil. Like there's weird stuff that comes in because Jude is quoting stuff that's not from the Bible. And Jude is also negative. Lots of us keep what we think to ourselves. We don't tell other people what we think of them. Jude is not that kind of person. If Jude has a problem, he's going to tell you about it. If Jude sees something worth fixing, he's going to fix it. He's going to tell you. But I think Jude is an incredibly important book for us. Despite the fact all of those things. Because we could very well turn around and say, why not do something encouraging? Why not do something like Philippians or Galatians? Revelation has some interesting stuff. Like, why don't we do that? I think there's at least two reasons why Jude is really, really important for us. First is that all Scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good deed. Jude is breathed out by God so that you can be trained in righteousness and taught. But second, I think Jude is a word in season for the church. Not just our church, but the church. Because Jude is written to faithful people contending for the faith in an unfaithful generation. Jude is written about faithfulness. It's written to people to help them keep walking with Jesus, keep contending for the faith, keep following Jesus. Jude has no rose-tinted glasses. This is a call to arms. Everyone pick up weapons in this battle, spiritual weapons, not physical swords. It's everyone onto the battlefield. But before we start a new series in any book, it's worth asking three questions. Three questions. I'll, uh, I'll control it on this. Author, okay, audience, and occasion. Who's the author? What's the audience? And what's the occasion? Well, the author is kind of easy because literally it says the first word is Jude. 
It's the letter of Jude. So we can be fairly confident that Jude wrote the letter. We can see this in verse 1. In fact, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So Jude is James's brother. Now, as best we can work out, the James that is being talked about is James of Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus. And if Jude is the brother of James, who's the brother of Jesus, what does that make Jude? The brother of Jesus. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Jude, the brother of Jesus. Because to be honest, if I was going to write something to you and sound really, really important, that's what I'd do. If Jesus was my brother, I would tell you about it constantly. That would be the start of every single sermon. Jude doesn't do that. Jude says, I'm a servant. Because that's what's more important. Faith in Jesus, following Jesus, is more important than family ties to Jude. That tells you something about him. And the audience. Now, normally in the New Testament, there's a formal greeting to a particular church, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Philippi, to the church in Galatia, to the church in Cranbourne. He doesn't do that. Instead, he addresses a particular group of people to those who are called, who those who are beloved in God the Father, and those who are kept safe for, by, in Jesus. Because Jude is writing to a faithful people. It may very well be that Jude is writing to a particular church, but more than that, he's writing to the faithful people within the church. Right? These are the kinds of words that you use to encourage those to keep going, the faithful ones to keep going. You are called by God. You are loved by God. You have kept for, by, in Jesus. Keep going. Jesus, the strong shepherd, saviour, is holding you. No one can pluck you out of his hands. Those are the kinds of words you write to encourage faithfulness. And then the occasion. I don't know if you picked up in the third verse, but Jude actually intended to write a very different kind of letter. He says, whilst eagerly preparing to write to you about the salvation we share, that is, he was going to write about the gospel. He was going to write about Jesus. He was going to write about his death and life and resurrection and ascension. It was going to be an encouraging letter for the church that he was writing to. And instead, something happened. Something came to Jude's attention, which meant that his ears perked up and said, I have to write a different kind of letter. Something happened. And the rest of the letter is a call to arms. Jude says, I find it necessary to write and appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. This is a call to arms. And when he's talking about faith, he's not just talking about a general belief in God. He's talking about the gospel, the apostolic deposit handed down by Paul and Peter and the other apostles. He's talking about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And the word that he uses here to contend comes from the Greek word agonai, which is the root word of our English word agonize. So what he's calling them to is to agonize for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. He's calling them to agonize for the faith. But if you don't know 
the faith, you can't agonize over it. If you can't agonize over something you don't know. In John chapter 8, Jesus makes this claim. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth matters. The truth matters to Christians. And if we don't know the truth, we're in trouble. It's kind of like a smoke detector. Now, I don't know about your experience growing up, but growing up in my house, we had an oversensitive smoke alarm in our house. So we had a big stick, right? And so any time that you lightly crisped your toast, the alarm would go off and you'd have to grab the big stick and you'd have to poke it, right? Because it would pick up any kind of smoke in the air, anything at all. You didn't have to burn it. Just slightly crisp it and the alarm would go off. And it was incredibly annoying. And some of us are like that kind of smoke detector, right? Any time that we pick up that anything is slightly wrong, slightly out of place, slightly untrue, we, we, get, we, we contend and we, we cry out, heresy, 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 right? And some of us want to grab a big stick and poke, it, poke you till like you turn off. That's incredibly annoying. But for many of us, what we do is we see that kind of person and we go, that's really, really annoying. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to take out the batteries of the smoke alarm. And that's going to fix the problem. One is really, really annoying, but the other one might kill you. And that's a big problem, isn't it? Growing up in the church, I heard again and again, don't talk too much about theology. Don't don't dig too deeply in. All you need is Jesus. All that theology does is divide. And it's true. They're absolutely correct. Theology does divide. It divides truth from error and reality from fiction. Because what we are saying when we say, I don't really want to know too much about theology, is I don't really want to know too much about God. Theology comes from two Greek words. Theos, meaning God, and logos, meaning reasoning. It's reasoning about God. And how can we say we love God if we don't want to know him? How can we contend for the faith if we don't know the faith? Vody Borkum, a pastor in America, said these hard words. The modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love a Jesus they don't know very well. Now this is hard, and I'm very aware of this, and so you might be asking, why are we talking about this? What does this have to do with Jude? Because if you don't understand the importance of right theology about understanding who God is, the book of Jude is going to be very confusing. The reason that Jude writes is going to be very confusing, because how can you contend for the faith if you don't know the faith? The problem that's going on in Jude is that false teachers have entered into the church But how would you know if we don't know the truth? The truth is important. Paul in Acts 20 says that after he has gone, the apostle Paul, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. And that is exactly what has happened in the book of Jude. But did you notice how they entered? It says they've stolen in. Other translation has say they have stealthily entered the church. 
They're not coming in with their big heresy flag saying, we're false teachers, watch out everybody. They've stealthily entered in. They seem mature. They seem correct. They seem to know the Bible. They seem to know the right words. They know the culture. They know the things to say. They've, they've crept in. In 2000, there was a jailbreak in Texas by a group called the Texas Seven. Now, normally when someone breaks out of jail, they're caught within the next week. These guys escaped capture for two months and during which time they committed a whole host of violent crimes. They killed a police officer. So how did they evade capture? They masqueraded as missionaries for two months in Texas. See, at the prison, pastors and preachers had come along and they'd picked up enough Bible, enough church words to convince people that they were legitimate missionaries. That's what's going on in the book of Jude. People have crept in. They seem mature, but they are not. So how do we recognize this? How would we recognize this in our church if someone was to sneak in, creep in? Well, Jude gives us three descriptions of these people who have crept in. He says, one, that they are ungodly. Two, that they pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness. And three, that they deny the Lord Jesus. So let's unpack this. They're ungodly. They do not desire to be like God. Now, our mission and vision of the church is to glorify God and grow in what? Not, well, yes, faith. In the likeness of who? Of Jesus Christ. If we're not becoming more like Jesus, the question has to be who are we becoming like? Holiness matters. Being like Jesus matters. If you look at the leadership requirements in the Bible, in either Titus or 1 Timothy, there is literally only one skill needed to be the ability to preach. Every other thing is about character. Every other thing is about godliness. Everything, every other thing is about holiness because it matters far more who you are than what you do. Not to these men. Because what happens is if you have an ungodly leader, an ungodly preacher, an ungodly pastor, is they gut the power of the gospel to transform lives. Because the power of the gospel is to be set free from sin by the power of the Spirit through the person of Jesus to the glory of the Father. And if you don't desire to be set free from sin, then what kind of story will you end up telling your people? You'll gut the gospel of its transforming power. And that's exactly what happens. These ungodly people that don't resemble Christ end up perverting the grace of our God into licentiousness. Now, licentiousness is an old word. You might not have heard that before, but what it means is that you use the grace of God as license to do all kinds of evil. So here's what I would imagine happening, is that these people have come into the church and they start out by saying and speaking a big gospel game. 
They would major on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and then right at the end they'd start twisting. And because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, we can do whatever we want. God loves me. God accepts me. Jesus has accepted me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate me from his love. So therefore, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever kind of sin I want. I don't have to stop anything. God will forgive me. But what does the Bible say? Romans 6. What then are we to say? Shall we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Or Romans 8, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Following Jesus is not about celebrating sin, but about putting sin to death. How can we take lightly something that Jesus died for? And yet these men have entered into the church and perverted grace. They've twisted grace to their own ends. Other translations say that they've twisted grace to be used for sensuality. Not sexuality, sensuality, the senses. What I can feel, what I can smell, what I can taste. If it feels good, do it. If it, if it smells good, eat it. It's the Nike slogan, just do it. With no thought whatsoever to what God desires, what God wills, what God wants. And the end result is that Jude says that they've denied the Lord Jesus. Deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's my assumption about these people. My assumption is that they would say the name Jesus more than anyone else in the church. They would speak a big Jesus game. Jesus this, Jesus that. Because I know that you know, regardless of how much we know about the Bible, if someone walks into our church and says, well, actually, Jesus isn't God. You shouldn't trust him. I don't think he rose from the dead. Most of us would have the sense to go, sorry, mate, I, it sounds like you're a false teacher. Like, I'm sorry, it's, that doesn't actually, that's not the gospel. Most of us would have that sense. So they don't do that. They sneak in. They say a lot of Jesus things. But if Jesus is your master and Lord, you want to obey him, follow him, trust him. And if you don't walk with him, trust him, obey him, how can you in any real sense call him master and Lord? These ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. Don't follow Jesus. You can say the name Jesus and deny him in your heart. You can say the name Jesus. You can call yourself a Christian and deny him with your life. Now, there's a lot of stuff that follows these verses in verses 5 to 10. And I'm actually going to handball them to Sam for next week. Right? It's a series of stories that Jude uses, both biblical and extra-biblical, that is outside of the Bible, to describe the kinds of people that he's writing about. But I want to end with three questions for us. Three questions to encourage us towards faithfulness. Three questions, right? One, do you know? Two, 
do you resemble? And three, do you trust? Do you know, do you resemble, do you trust? One, do you know the truth? Do you know the faith? Jude calls people, calls Christians to contend for the faith. But we can't contend for something that we don't know. As I look out along, along the Christian landscape, I see no end of Christians contending. No end of Christian courage. But so often, I'm concerned about what's being contended for. I'm all for politics. I'm all for religious freedom. But at best, they are secondary to the gospel. Why is it that across Facebook, across the news media, the only things that Christians ever talk about are politics and religious freedom and other things? Where is the man and woman talking about the gospel? Where is the man or woman talking about the Bible? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Are you growing in your knowledge of Jesus? Are you growing in your knowledge of Bible? Do you know more about God, about the Bible, about Jesus, about the Spirit than you did five years ago? Are you day by day becoming more like Jesus because you understand who he is? Do you know the truth? If Jude called you to contend for the truth, if there were false teachers in our church, if Sam came up one day and said there's false teachers have crept in, would you be able to contend? Do you know? Because Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. We want to be free. Do you know the truth? Second question is, do you resemble? Is there anything in the false teachers that Jude is describing that resonates with your own experience? Jude calls them ungodly and twisters of grace. And the question is, are you? Are there elements of your life that are cut off from God and said, I don't, I don't actually want to be Christ-like in that area? Are there elements of your life in which you say, grace has got me. I don't, I don't want to follow you, but Jesus accepts me. God accepts me. Watch out. In 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Paul literally says to test your salvation. Now, I want to say something because I, I realize that the last couple of times I've preached have been fairly hard. Right? I've talked about greed and idolatry, confession and repentance, and now we're talking about false teachers. I joked to Sam the other day that I'm becoming his hatchet man, right? All the hard things uh, like I've, I've, been, I've, I've been saying. I want you to know two things. One, if I'm saying it to you, it's because I'm saying it to myself first, right? It's not like there's a standard for you and I'm not asking myself. I'm asking those questions of me. Where am I twisting the grace of Jesus? Where am I ungodly? But second, if we say hard things to you, it's because we love you. And the last thing we want is on the, at the end of times, when Jesus returns, for him to say to any one of us, depart from me, I never knew you. Because I'd rather say a million hard things right now than for that to happen. Do you resemble any part of the false teachers? I don't want you to deny our master and Lord Jesus. But that means taking him seriously. And if you do resemble them at all, if you do twist grace, if you do not want to be like Jesus, that's an opportunity to repent and come to him who offers grace. Don't leave it.
But the third question is, do you trust? Do you trust him? Jude starts out in the first verse saying these words, to those who are called, who are beloved in God the Father and kept safe for Jesus. It's very easy to be overwhelmed as a Christian at the task ahead of us. But I've read the end of the Bible. God wins. God preserves his church. God keeps his people. Do you trust him? Do you trust that he who called you, who loves you and keeps you, will continue doing so? That might mean some hard conversations from time to time. But trust him. Throw yourself upon him. He will grow our faithfulness. I'm going to end there and pray for us. And I look forward to continuing on next week in the book of Jude. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for the book of Jude, though it might be neglected, that it has important words for us to hear. May we be a faithful church. May you grow our faithfulness. May you grow our Christ-likeness. God, there are many areas where we don't meet, match up to what you desire for us. Bring them to mind. Bring them to mind so that we would never be like those false teachers. May we instead be those who contend for the faith, those who are called, those who are kept, those who are loved by you. Spirit, fill us so that we would be more like Jesus day after day, that this would be a church who resembles Jesus. We pray. In his name. Amen.